0: Wow. Jesus is awesome. Amen. I feel like, I feel like this place is just going to erupt at any minute. (laughs) I'm prepared for that. If I have to stop preaching because it's going ballistic, that's fine. Fine by me. But Jesus is awesome, eh? He is, He is so good. I was thinking back, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Russ and uh, married to Jen over there. She's literally the best wife in the world. And I'm prepared to argue that fact with you. And uh, together we lead the team uh, that lead New Gen City Church. And they're the best eldership team that you could ever hope to get. And none of you can have any of them. I was thinking back to... The, uh, the day that I got saved, I was 19 years old, it was two years ago, and um, I just remember it, meeting Jesus, it's, it was the most amazing day of my life, and um, He absolutely turned my life upside down. I think as a the right way up, yeah, good point. I think as an unbeliever, I can say that he absolutely ruined my life. I had all these goals. I was planning to be a millionaire by the age of 28. <laughs> and I got saved, and I found out that my mansion in heaven. The street in front of it is worth more than all the money in the world. There went that idea. <laughs> and I had all these other goals in life. I enjoyed sinning. I enjoyed clubbing. I enjoyed drinking, partying, all that kind of stuff. And I remember after getting saved, uh, I went out to my regular nightclub that I went to, and I sat there, and I was just sitting there thinking, I don't enjoy this anymore. What the heck has happened to me? I just sat there with a glass of water, and I just looked around, and everywhere in the room, I just saw sin, and I thought, what am I doing here? No one had told me, like, you're a Christian now, don't go there anymore. It was like the scales fell off my eyes, and I was just radically transformed by Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. And I was thinking, man, if I was 19 years old, here tonight, knowing everything I've been through in ministry, and I, I just so appreciate Tony just sharing the things that he went through in ministry. and. And sometimes serving God is tough, not just leading a church, but just being a Christian. There's persecution, there's opposition, there's from family, from, from your workplace, from your friends. I got persecuted by my own friends who are unbelievers. And sometimes it's tough. You know, 11 years ago, I nearly lost my life. I, I had a stroke. We, Tom announced that we were going to hand over the church to Jen and I. Four days later, I was in hospital, almost dead. The nurse said I was one millimeter away from dying because a blood clot had gone up into my brainstem. And she said, basically, it just started shutting down all my systems, paralyzed in this leg, double vision, couldn't swallow for a month, couldn't talk, vomiting uncontrollably, hiccups for 10 days, day and night in a row. I think I calculated I did... 33,000 hiccups in that kind of area. Couldn't sleep. And if Jesus had to come to me at 19 years old and said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve me. You're going to do these things. You're going to see these amazing things. But there's going to be some tough times. There's going to be some hardships. There's going to be some oppositions. You're You're going to take over a church, and you're almost going to die before you get to do that. Are you still happy to do it? You know what my answer would be? Absolutely yes. Absolutely, Jesus. I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I want to encourage you guys, you young guys that are here tonight. I believe God is stirring something in your lives. We're talking about ready, set, go. Some of you are ready to run. And Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to do. And can I say, as a person that's been serving God, running for God for 30 years, it's worth it. No matter what you have to face, it is worth it. I would do it all again in a heartbeat. I really would. I'm not just saying that. I honestly would do it because Jesus is awesome. He's worthy of it all. There is no price too high to pay. Seriously. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Jesus because He's done everything for me. What a privilege. What a privilege to be a part of this equip, to be in partnership with one another. I'm just thinking it's amazing. What a privilege that we can come here, that that GGC have opened up their venue to us, that we've got people coming from all over the world at their expense. We're not paying them to come. They're coming here because they love Jesus and they love us. I have such a love for the Lord and such a love for you guys. I really do. What I, have, what I felt God put on my heart comes out of such a heart of love I, I, I want to see God glorified, and I want to see you running for the Lord. This message that I feel that God has laid on my heart is probably going to be needed on Monday morning next week, or maybe in a month's time, or maybe in a little bit of down the road time. But it's, it's a message that's going to help you to keep going. When the opposition comes, it's going to help you to stand your ground and say, no, resist the devil, and to stand your ground, keep the inheritance that God has given you, and then keep pushing forward again, and when it happens again, stand your ground, keep pushing forward, stand your ground, keep pushing forward, that's what I feel God's going to do tonight, and what I'm hoping at the end is that there's going to be such a release of faith for prayer, that we are going to pray, we are going to shake The building with prayer for our nation, for the different states. Call people up, just random people come and pray for your state. And we're going to pray corporately. And I believe there's going to be a thundering that's going to go on here tonight. You know, the church was birthed in prayer. 10 days, that's how you start a church. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about a projector, sound team, kids' ministry team. Just have a 10 day prayer meeting. 3,000 saved on day one. Amen. Simple. That's the solution. You can ready, set, go. You can all leave and do that. Amen. (laughs) Anyway, what I felt to preach on tonight is a particular area of spiritual warfare. Uh, If you're taking notes, it's called War in the Heavenlies. And uh, this is just a little part. Actually, We're going to do this as a series in our local church. We started it the other week. And uh, unbeknownst to me, all hell broke loose after preaching this message. So let's see what happens. (laughs) Amen. But our eyes are on Jesus. Amen. It's all worth it, it's all for Him. A number of years ago, I read this scripture, 2 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 11 says this. Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And other translations, it says, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And as I read that, I felt God say to me, you're totally unaware, totally ignorant of Satan's schemes. I felt God impress upon me, hey, back then, the Corinthian or well, the church, the Corinthian church, they were aware of what Satan was on about, what he was doing. And I felt I need to read the Bible. I need to get some of this information. Because when you send an army into war, the first thing they do is the commanders sit down and they give what's called a briefing. They tell the soldiers who the enemy is, where the enemy is, what the enemy is doing, what tactics the enemy might use. And what tactics are we going to use so that we can win the battle? And Jesus has done that. And that's our briefing. Amen. And so tonight, I, I really feel that as I look at this message, I feel that maybe there's some people here tonight who, who are in the same boat that I was. If you're honest with yourself, you're sitting here thinking, actually, I, I am unaware. My, my idea of the devil is that he's this guy dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork, and he's standing there in hell, welcoming poor souls into hell, telling them, sorry, the air conditioning's broken, but that's just the way it is down here. The devil's not in hell. He roams around, the Bible says, like a lion looking to devour people. Anyway, and the second thing is is that there's so much of what I found is that there's so much in the Bible about this stuff. I thought, well, if there's so much in the Bible, it's worth teaching on. Amen. It is a very dangerous situation to have powerful and active enemies working against us and not even be aware that we have these enemies. And so, let me just start. I'm going to make a few quick points. I know that uh, uh, time is going to be uh, an issue with this message, but uh, I, I really want to get to some main things. All good, all good, all good. First point is this. The Bible reveals there are two kingdoms that are at war. The kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan and the kingdom of light ruled by God. Amen? I'm sure we all believe that in this room. And one of the things is that the kingdom of darkness operates in, in uh, nothing's clear. When you're being attacked, you're sometimes wondering, what is going on? Am I being attacked? Aren't I being attacked? What is going on here? When God deals with us, it's clear. God's Word shines a lamp to our path. We can see things clearly. There's, not, there's, there's nothing unsure about where God wants to lead us. Remember that. Second thing is that the war is not over. This is a very important point. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, he didn't mean the war is over or the war is finished. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As a Christian, we are in a war. There is a battle. Sometimes I think we punctuate that sentence like this, for we do not wrestle full stop. I don't want to step on any toes tonight. Sometimes we sing about it. We sing, the war is over. Turn around. Lay your weapon on the ground. If if you sing that song, please forgive me. (laughs) And I want to tell you, that's three things Satan would love you to do. Believe it, there's no battle. Turn your back to Him. If you look at the armor that we've given, there's nothing on your back. Put your weapon down. Verse 13 of Ephesians 6 says the exact opposite. It says, put on the full armor of God. Take up your sword and take your stand against the enemy. So that's what I'm going to do. Amen, And I hope that's what you're going to do. <laughs> I think it's a tragedy to see Christians taken out by the enemy because he's pulled the wool over their eyes and told them, "He doesn't exist, and there's no more war. When you come to Jesus, everything's going to be amazing. You're never going to have to fight any other battle in your life again. The war is not over. And in my Bible, the war continues until about the third to last page. I'm sure that's the same in your Bible. When Jesus returns and he puts an end to it all, what a day. <laughs> third point, Satan's plans are organized. This was a revelation to me because my, my initial thoughts was that the kingdom of darkness works like this. It's absolute chaos. Spirits fighting each other. Satan having a big meeting, can't control it, and just says, well, just go out and make as much trouble as you can. Just chaos. Kingdom of chaos. But the Bible, what I love about the Bible is that it pulls back the curtains to the spiritual realm. It shows us things we would never know about. We'd never know about this stuff if it weren't in the Bible. But Ephesians 6 that I've just read says, Our fight is against these spiritual powers, principalities, authorities, powers, and evil spirits in the unseen realm. That's our enemy, our true enemy. Your husband is not your enemy. <laughs> Not always. (laughs) But I believe that this scripture is showing us that there's organization. There's There's some kind of a hierarchical structure within the kingdom of darkness. And I believe it's also showing us that Satan has plans against us, against nations, against churches against families, against individuals. And it's not a bad thing to be aware. Hey, hang on a minute. We don't need to know the exact details, but to be aware, hey, the devil has a plan against me. This kingdom that I'm at war, I find myself at war against, has plans. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, you can read it for yourselves, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, read it in Luke Luke 4. One of the temptations that the devil brought against Jesus was he showed him all the nations of the world. Basically, he said, this is my kingdom. These are, these are the people that I own. I can do with them what I want. And he said, if you bow down and you worship me, I'll give you them. What's he saying? You don't have to go to the cross. Here's a shortcut. You don't have to do all that suffering. Hang on the cross. There's a shortcut here. I'll give it to you. And Jesus defeats him with the word of God. But you know what it says at the end of that passage in Luke? It says, and the devil left him until an opportune time. What does that mean? It means that when Satan comes against us and he fails, he doesn't just throw in the towel and say, well, I tried. It didn't work. Well, I'll try another Christian. It means he, he steps back and he thinks, okay, I'm going to wait until I see another opportunity, and then I'll have another go. And we see this even with Jesus. A little bit later, Peter has this amazing revelation. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus says, well done, bud. My father revealed that to you. And I want to just tell you one other thing. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get killed there. What does Peter do? Over my dead body are you going to Jerusalem? There's no ways I'm going to let that happen. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. What was happening? Satan found another opportune moment. Same thing. You don't need to go to the cross. This guy, Peter, he'll stand up for you. He'll stop it happening. And you know what I've come to realize is that in my own life, I've seen something of the plan of Satan against me personally. And I just want to say, I just loved hearing uh, David's preach uh, last night. And, and I went to the workshop that Gabby did here. She talked about a similar thing happening to her. And for me, something that I've recognized in my life is that I've been attacked over and over and over again by a spirit of fear. And let me just clarify. I'm not a person who's afraid of walking in a dark alley at night. I don't have nightmares. I don't walk around trembling. But I, every now and then, I am literally attacked by a spirit of fear. Twice in my life, I've been in bed, and I've had this dark, Presence come upon me. The first time, tried to strangle me. I was a two-month-old Christian. I tried to say the name of Jesus. I could hardly get it out. I was so terrified. The second time happened to me when I had the stroke eleven years ago, and I was in hospital, on my own again, lying in bed. And the next thing, this dark presence started coming over my bed. I could feel it like a paralyzing fear coming up from my feet. And I could just feel like I was going into paralysis. And these voices in my head saying, you're never going to walk again. You're going to be a burden to your family. You're never going to preach. You're not going to take over this church. You're never going to work again. You're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And I remember just praying in tongues. And the next thing, this thing just dissolved, left me. And then a little bit later, I come out of hospital, I'm back at home now with my walking stick, seeing double, Church has doubled, praise God. <laughs> never, never knew the church could grow that quickly, but it did in my eyes. <laughs> a little bit later, I, um, I was at home we had a newspaper. We don't normally get the newspaper. I don't know why it was there. Actually, I do know why it was there. There was an article in there on stroke patients and some kind of relapse statistic. And as I was reading this, suddenly I start feeling the same thing again, fear coming up. And I just said, no, 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 no. God has healed me. There's not going to be a relapse. And it just left me. And then about three weeks later, I'm in the car, put the radio on, I hear some doctor talking on the radio about stroke patients, and the same thing, relapses after, I don't know, three years or something like that. And I could feel the fear coming again. It's the same attack over and over and over. Why? The plans of the enemy. He has a plan against us. Once you recognize that, it will change your life. Because now I don't crumble and go, oh God, why is this happening to me? I thought I got victory over fear. I thought I got delivered of that stuff. And yes, I did way back in the day, but I'm being attacked again and again and again by that same fear. Not because I've got a problem in my life, it's the plan of the enemy against me. Once you recognize that, you will be able to go immediately, no, I'm not giving ground to this. We've been given armor. We've been given that breastplate, the the feet of peace, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. So when that attack comes against you again, you can stand your ground and say, no, resist the devil. You are not going to steal my inheritance all of this that I've been walking up till now, that's my inheritance from the Lord. He's brought healing in my life. He's brought freedom in my life. And I'm not going to let you redraw the line, the battle line. And I take ground for the Lord. I stand my ground when He attacks. And then I move on in the Lord. And when He attacks again, I don't complain. I stand my ground again. I'm not looking to be attacked by fear. But I'm aware of the devil's schemes. His kingdom is organized. Maybe it's not fear in your life, maybe it's depression, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you've been delivered genuinely. Sometimes I have to help people, they get healed. And then they start kind of having a relapse. It's the devil trying to take that back again. God did do a work, but stand your ground. Don't give in. Don't let the devil retake what God has given you. Stand on his word. Pick up your sword and use it. The devil comes against you with depression. You say, God has not given me the spirit of despair, but the garment of praise or the spirit of heaviness, I think it says. You're feeling rejection. I've received the spirit of sonship by which I can call him Abba Father. That's using the sword. Fear comes against you. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Pick up your sword and use it. The enemy has plans. And if they attack you, and they fail. They wait for an opportune time. That's why I'm saying this message is not for now. This is for Monday or whenever, next week, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're alone, when you're disappointed, when you're spiritually dry. We all go through that. The devil never plays fair. He's not going to call you and say, "Hey, listen, get ready. Tomorrow I'm about to attack you." <laughs> he goes for you when you're weak. If you're in a family, he goes for the weakest link. They' we that show on TV. <laughs> Sometimes I've seen it. My kids I have to pray over them, help them to get victory. They don't know these things. They don't know how to stand in faith. They're too young. The devil doesn't care. He's not going to go, oh, I'm not going to touch your kid. He doesn't care. He will get to you any way you can. The Bible says we need to be vigilant and watchful. Be alert. Praying over our families. Standing, Standing your ground in the Lord. Fourth point. Is Satan's kingdom operates from the heavenlies? Ephesians 6.12, we've read it, let's just read it again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now you might be thinking, hang on a minute, what's the devil doing in heaven? <laughs> The answer is really simple. There's more than one heaven. First verse of the Bible says what? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. More than one heaven and one earth. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2 to 3, Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 12, verse, I think it's just verse 2 actually. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Paul's saying there's three now. Ephesians 4.10 says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. Now, I'm not an English teacher. but When you use the word all, cannot be two. I cannot say to you, I'm listening with all my ears. That's grammatically incorrect, amen? All is three or more, okay? Personally, for me, I just think there's three. Some people think there's seven levels of heaven. I actually believe that's found in the Quran, so I would encourage you to believe in three. If you're very, very happy, maybe say you're living on cloud nine. That's okay, that's biblical, but anyway, I believe that there are three heavens, and I'm going to show you this from the book of Daniel. There's the heaven of God's dwelling. There's the heaven that is around the earth because the word, the Hebrew word for heaven is also the word for sky. And then in between the two is the second heaven, the the heavenlies from which Satan's kingdom operates. And so sometimes there's this barrier between what God is wanting to do in our lives and us receiving it, there's this barrier in the second heaven. And I'm hoping that as I share this, you're going to see the power of prayer. Turn to Daniel chapter 10, if you have your, your Bible. God's given Daniel this vision of the future, and he's so troubled by it that he starts praying. He wants to know what this vision means. And after three weeks of fasting and praying, an angel appears before him to tell him the meaning. Let's have a look from verse 4 to 9. I want to read a lot of this. I'm reading it from the NLT. I'm not sure whether this is ESV or whatever comes up, but on April 23... As I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem and his face flashed like lightning. Wow! His eyes flamed like torches, his arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. Thanks, guys. Thanks for supporting me in my ministry. They're gone. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. I heard the man speak when the sound of his voice, and at the sound of his voice, I fainted, and I lay there with my face to the ground. Now, before this Gabriel came and he did the same thing, fell to the ground. This, this angel was so mighty, so awesome, he just passed out face first into the dirt. There's no way is Daniel's ever going to forget this day. Amen. He is terrified. And then in verse 12, it says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven, and I have come in answer to your prayer. On day one, when Daniel started praying, God sent this angel in answer to his prayer. And I want to just make a quick little point here. It's an important point for us to to know, is that God gives commands to angels. We don't. Daniel never prayed directly to any angel. Nor did he tell any angel what to do. Now, I'm going to preface, I'm going to edit this. There There is a category where we do command spirits. And that's what, David, Gabby, and others have been talking about deliverance. When someone has an evil spirit, we have all authority to tell that thing to pack its bags and leave right now. Amen? But when we're talking about principalities, things like that, I can't find in Scripture that God has given us authority to command them around. And I'm just saying this, Out of love? (laughs) Rather don't go there. Focus your prayers on the Lord and let Him command the angels. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For He will order His angels to protect you wherever you go. Yes, angels are sent to help us. They're sent to minister. They're sent to give us messages. They're sent to defend us. All sorts of things. But they sent at God's command. <clears throat> There's no scriptural evidence that Christians are to cast down principalities. When Jesus said, "What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven," He's not talking about binding a principality. It's in the context of receiving the keys to the kingdom and saying what you bind, what you loose, what you allow, you've been given the keys to unlock the kingdom in people. It's up to you now. You get to open or close the door. That's what he's meaning. Don't step outside of our assignment. Leave it to God's angels. They're going to do a good job. You don't see uh, Daniel praying against a principality. He only prayed to God. And if there is some kind of ruling power over Sydney, some principality over Sydney, and I'm sure there is one. Melbourne, maybe not. But Sydney, (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) But I don't see in Scripture that we're called to pull that thing down and cast it into the abyss or do whatever with us. God wants us to live in victory. In order for us to live in victory, we need an opponent. If you rock up to a sporting game and you don't have an opponent, you don't get a victory. You get half points or a bye or whatever they call it. You win by default. When there's an enemy, God is saying, you can live in victory, even though there is an enemy. Your prayers, direct them to the Lord. Pray for people. Jesus said, all authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples. Our mission field, our mandate is people. Leave the air war to the angels. God will send them. As we pray over our land, we're praying for Sydney. We're praying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let people be reached with the gospel. We, pr- we pray for young people. Give them hope. We pray for the economy, all that kind of thing. We're praying, praying, praying to God, and then he's going, right, you angels, go. You guys, go, 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 go. Win the war in the heavenlies. Amen. Let's do it. in the case of where we are ministering to someone in our mandate to disciple the nations and we come across someone who has a demonic spirit in them we have authority to cast it out no matter how small or how big that spirit is it has to go because yes we are seated in heavenly places amen The angel continues, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 to 13, says, I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So this angel was sent on day one. As Daniel began to pray, God said, go, tell him this message. The angel sent, but for three weeks, that demonic kingdom opposed him. And, and some, I believe it's a, it's a principality, this prince of Persia, maybe not just one, maybe a whole army versus this angel and maybe the armies that came with it. We're fighting for three weeks. There's this war going on in heaven, in the heavenly realms. And Daniel has no idea about this. All he's doing is just praying, praying and fasting, enduring, persevering, praying, 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 praying. Three weeks later, boom, an angel appears before him. Wow. And the angel gives this insight. Why? I think it's because God wants us to be encouraged. Your prayers are incredibly powerful. We have no idea what's going on in the heavenly realm. When we're praying and we're saying, God, breakthrough, 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 we're looking for an answer. We've been praying week after week after week, and then suddenly, there's this breakthrough that happens because the angels broke through in the heavenly realms. Persistence in prayer. Caused a breakthrough in the heavenly realm. I want to encourage you to persist in prayer. Persist in prayer. Who knows? Had Daniel stopped praying on day three, maybe God would not have sent Michael. I don't know. Doesn't say. But we know that Daniel continued to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And And eventually, God said, this angel needs help sending Michael, the chief prince. And he sorted out that other prince. And what's interesting to me is that this angel says here in verse 20, he says, Soon I must return to fight against the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the prince of the kingdom of Greece. Will come. And history tells us the Persian kingdom was conquered by who? Alexander the Great. The Persian kingdom was replaced by the Greek Empire. And in the heavenly realms, the prince of Persia was replaced by the prince of Greece. Fascinating. Helps us to pray because we realize hey, you know what? Maybe you've, you've recognized some things over your city. Maybe there's apathy or materialism or whatever, witchcraft, whatever it is, as a, as a ruling power of darkness over your city. It helps us to pray, but we don't need to pray against that thing directly. We pray to God. We pray for people. We say, God, give our people victory over witchcraft. We pray that you'd save them out of that stuff. Bring them out. And God then sends, he deals with whatever's, we got no idea what's going on in the heavenly realms. How can we start ordering angels around when we can't see what's going on? Let God deal with that. (laughs) Amen. Persistent prayer. Sometimes it takes a while. You know what I've noticed in a church? The hardest meeting of the week, prayer meeting. Prayer is work. I want to encourage all of you, let God grip your heart with prayer. Prayer is so powerful. It is so needed in our nation. Maybe the music team can come up. I'm going to wrap it up. If I can leave you with this encouragement. There is a war. You're in the army of God. Put your armor on. Take up your sword. And pray. Pray, 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 pray. Pray at all times. With all kinds of prayers. Be a regular attender of your church's prayer meeting. (laughs) If you want personal revival, spend time in personal prayer, you and Jesus. If you want national revival, spend time in corporate prayer. Don't complain when there's no revival in your nation if you're not at prayer. Because... Going outside with a placard and protesting and this and that and the next thing, it's going to change nothing in the heavenly realm. But prayer will. If you come to corporate prayer meeting, you will start changing things in the heavenly realm. And God will answer your prayers. Sometimes, we won't know until we get to heaven and watch the replay He will send angels. That's up to Him. There's a day coming when all those warring angels are going to be called back to heaven. God's going to say, form up. Get in your rank. Get in your file. And then Jesus, He's going to come forward On a white horse. Step by step by step with the army coming. Bang, 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 bang. And he's going to end this war once and for all. Let's stand.